Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast. This podcast presents the very best recorded panels and seminars with regards to role-playing game design and publishing. This podcast has been made possible thanks to the generous contributions of the panel speakers and of Double Exposure with their amazing game design convention, Metatopia. Episode 129, Printers and Manufacturers 101, recorded at Metatopia 2016, presented by Christopher Bedell and Zev Slashinger. Shout out to go. Printers and manufacturers. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Is it still morning? Yes. Cool. Oh, no, it's not. No, my good afternoon. Uh, my name is Christopher Bedell. I run a company called Greater Than Games. We make a bunch of games. Zev Schlesinger, WizKids. And uh, we're here to talk to you about printers and manufacturers uh, from the point of view of a publisher. Like, uh, I have not worked specifically uh, in printing and manufacturing board and card games. I've worked doing print production uh, for printing presses, but not in the board gaming industry. Have you? I've not worked for a printer. Yeah. At all. No. But we, but this, is, this is not talking about printers from the production of, we are printing things, this is production that talking about printers from the production of how to find a printer, how to talk to a printer, how to work with your manufacturer to make sure that you are getting the product you want out of the deal. Um, this is, if you are coming to this panel hoping to get a list of like 50 of the best printers to work with, I mean, I can give you some recommendations, but at the same time, it's more about how you interact with your printer, what information you give them, what information you ask from them to make sure that when you're making games, they go well and the way you want them to. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, um, anyway, if you were looking to make a, a board game, card game, um, t- uh, RPG, anything where you're working with a physical printer, um, there's lots of printers out there. You can look around the internet. There's lots of different kind of recommendations about people to go with. Um, but the most important thing is um, is the way you can the way you do your communication about what you're trying to get out of it, what information you're giving them about what products you're making, um, and what information you're getting back from them. Some printers are going to be uh, m- most of your printers are out of the country, and um, in my opinion, the ones you're going to have the best luck with are the ones that are uh, that, that have um, larger printing production uh, factories. Some people like to say they only print in the United States, and that's fine. The reason that we, we for instance, greater than games we print in China because the printing the printers that we work with are giant factories and they have the runs to be able to do um, larger print runs all at once. Um, the, the, we have not had as much luck with US-based printers because of the, the comparative size. Um, but with, with everyone, if you're working with a printer in China or if you're working with a printer in Germany, um, you're going to have a, a bit of a language uh, barrier and sometimes there'll be a broker in between. But you don't, you're not going to have to know Chinese or German to do it, but you're going to have to make sure that you're extremely specific and clear in your um, initial specs and in, in what you're asking for and what your component sizes are and what they're made out of because any little thing is good, can get miscommunicated, get uh, mistranslated. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, honestly, it's more, it's what they probably should ask questions. and, and Yeah, that's true. And that, but uh, uh, it's, 
you again you can use your china germany usa there's also the factor of assembly a lot of places in the u.s uh sometimes they'll just give you the parts that you need and you probably have to assemble them uh yourself uh where if you go with a bigger factory they do the assembly for you you can of course opt out not to do that <clears throat> i generally don't uh, encourage that if you want to unless you want to throw a nice big pizza party for your friends and then spend, you know, days and days and days uh, assembling a thousand or two thousand units. If you're doing, you know, 200, 300, 400, 500, sure, maybe. Uh, but once you get to the larger print runs, the those manufacturers will assemble everything for you and you get a finished shrink wrap game ready to be sent to uh, retailers or distributors. Did you know that Settlers of Catan is entirely hand assembled? Yes. <laughs> uh, the best, best part about that is the engine. In Chicago, in Chicago, right? Yes, they, so they, else, yes, everything really? gets shipped to them, and yeah, I, right. but they use USA, uh, the U.S. Uh, printers for right. the most part now. Yes, right, right, because the plastics yes. in the U.S. Like, yes. mm. so a, a lot of war game companies do that as well because they usually do smaller runs, and they're used to getting a box from printer A, cardboard counter sheets from printer B, cards from printer C, and everything gets shipped to a one single facility could be someone's house could be a little mini warehouse <laughs> and again they throw that pizza party and they assemble everything together one good thing is you're probably your quality control is i guess much better because you're on hand to actually see what's being put in and you can say yeah i know for sure this has to go here and this has to go here and this many cards and this many boards and so on so you have that but it is a lot of work and i'm assuming that's not what you guys Signed are up looking for, for right. if, you, uh, if you're here. Um, yeah, so I guess your question is a good call. Does anybody have any specific <clears throat> questions about printing and or manufacturing? Good. Ah, here we yeah, go. you, you <laughs> got to have some <laughs> questions. <laughs> I kind of just want to hear you guys run through maybe some specific examples of uh, games that you made and processes that went, went on. Maybe some more specifics in that area. Okay, I'm thrilled to do this. But I'm going to put somebody in the audience hugely on spot to do this. Hey, Jen, come up here. So Jennifer Claussen, this is the person who should be on this panel instead of me, is the uh, creative director, essentially, of Greater Than Games. And when I'm making games, I make games, and then I give files to Jen. You weren't ready for this at all. How are you doing? <laughs> she loves being put on the spot, and she's not at all shy. Um, but she's the person that does the most uh, contacting with the printers and telling them, no, this is the way the files have to be. So start to finish on a process. I've got a game, and I made all the files, and I get them to you. I'm like, hey, the files are done. How does that go from with the printer then? So even before, to go way back to the beginning, yeah. even before a game is at the stage of, of layout or things like that, um, and this will kind of overlap with some of the stuff Matt was talking about in his last panel. Um, an example I'll use because it's current, um, Laser Riders, the game designers themselves came up and they were like, hey, we've got this game, we've got a real rough prototype of how it works and things and, and you know rules and, and what we think we can do with it. <clears throat> and then from there, we take a look at it and we're like, well, this is great, but you're using this component that's kind of expensive, so what can we do? And internally, we start looking at it and saying, how can we you know, combine things? Or, um, for example, they had like a player piece and an individual die that would keep track of things. And we're like, well, what if we combine that and do something different? So then I would go to the factory and say, all right, so here's my basic starting components for this. What's my starting price on this? Okay. Well, now I want to see what we can do to kick it up a notch, make it a little bit different, make it unique, something that's going to work well off the shelf, better user experience when you're playing the game, all of those types of things. 
and I would actually sit down and have conversations with our liaison here in the States and say, well, what are your capabilities? Um, I don't want to have a bunch of dice if I don't have to. Can I do something that's less expensive? Can I somehow use punchboard? Or so then we were like, oh, well, what if we combine? What if we do punchboard standees and we use a slider? Um, so, so really having a good working relationship where you can and talk through that early on in the process and then you have a better idea of now how do I actually lay out the game. So then like Christopher and I might sit down and be like, okay, now let's go through your actual files and the rules and um, laying out the graphic design of the project and, and where to go from here. And then even then we take that and I will send files directly to the factory and I'll say, all right, here's everything it's laid out. Um, we've gone over pricing and we've agreed on production and, and what's going to be punch board and what's not. And there are times in there where they'll come back and they'll be like, yeah, we're not sure we can actually do this thing that we said we could do. And we're like, okay, <laughs> so let's go revisit that thing and, and work through it. So the, the biggest, the best thing you can do is just have some contact, some good relationship between yourself either directly with the factory or a liaison that you can work through all of that up front so that you're you know exactly what your options are and and you know where you can change and and if something is intrinsic to the rules of your game then you want to figure out how to make that component and make that piece work yeah, like if it had to be a die right then we would have to figure out how to make the, the dice work but instead we, we like is the the slider the cardboard stand with the slider you came up with both on both on your design as an idea, but also mm -hmm. on what the manufacturer could make, right. what the printer could do. Right, exactly. Um, and so th there's, a, there's a lot of back and forth on like, hey, I want to make X, what's the closest you can get, where, where can we move around with, and um, the, that, that's, that's the communication. And they're usually very good about giving you options, where I said, you know, okay, so I have this crazy idea in my brain, tell me if we can do it, and they'll say, well, here's option A, B, or C, which one's going to be closest, and then you kind of manipulate and work from there. Um, once you sent them the, the files and everything, then you go through proofing processes, making sure it's going to work. But um, that's kind of like the real rough start to finish from game inception all the way through printing. But when we get to the end of the of the process with the printer, we have them send us like PDF proofs of everything, and we we look at the PDF proofs um, until there's essentially no errors on there, and then we get a, a physical proof yep. that is the, called a digital proof because it was digitally printed instead of yeah. press printed, um, and look at those. And, and those are great for checking your colors, um, making sure that if things are, are, you know, hopefully by then you've nailed down all of your sizing and everything because it's a little late to change it there, but you're looking at your colors. Is this too saturated? Is this too light? Um, and then you can go back and forth with the printer and be like, hey, the, this is supposed to be this Pantone and you're printing it at this. We need to fix this before we go to final production. Because um, all those machines are calibrated by humans. So right. you, you want to double check them on that. Don't expect that they, that they will do it right. Mm -hmm. um, and then usually you'll get like a pre-production copy, a physical copy of the game, and then you go into your final production. So uh, let me weave some steps in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the thing about asking about whether someone can do a particular thing, yeah, if you have a crazy component mm -hmm. kind of thing, yes, absolutely, you can ask uh, what it is. But what I'm thinking is that you guys have the game ready. Uh, you know what the components are going to be. Uh, so, the, so the first main thing, you're going to have to start getting quotes, right? So you're going to want to contact your printers, and you want to get quotes for all the components that you're doing box, cardboard, cards, rules, everything. You have to give them the specs to all these things, the sizes. Uh, if there's something, uh, you know, the, the box size, uh, uh, length, width, depth. Uh, the rules, length and width. 
cardboard counters, how big they're going to be. Are they double-sided, printed four-color front, four-color back, four-color front, zero-color back? So you have to know all yeah. that stuff. The then And then you're going to do quantity, right? I'm going to want 2,000 copies of the game or give me a quote for 2,000, 3,000, 4,000. You can do that. Usually they're okay with that. So just to get a, a, a run of everything. But you want to break down. You want to give them a nice little spreadsheet that breaks down each component, what the color is, what the size is, what the quantity is, the finish, gloss, matte. So there's all these little things here. But the you have to assume your printer is going to know also it has done board games or card games or whatnot and knows generally what's what's going to be needed if you have an issue if it's someone you've never dealt with before there's two things you can do one you can ask them to send you board game samples and tell them you want board games from the industry so from people that you know not a mass market game like a hasbro game because the quality there is a lot different than what you want in the hobby the other thing you can do is you can send the printer a game that you like uh, where the quality is and you say this is what i want see that box size i want that back box size and that material see those cards i want those cards i want it like that and that will help them also with your specs to say oh okay they want 300 grams per square meter you know gsm of cards or 310 or they want black core gray core and this is getting into the the fiddly stuff which i don't think the panel here is for that um, so the main thing is you want to get a quote. Once you guys agree on a quote uh, on a price, so you say, all right, we're going to do 3,000 copies of this game. It's $8 a game. Great. Now, then you're going to want to send the files, as you said, and then you probably want to know what format it, but usually they accept uh, most files uh, if it's like a very high-res, print-ready, uh, flattened PDFs. That's usually fine. Some will, uh, some will require uh, maybe the open files, you know, your Photoshop files, your uh, uh, Adobe Illustrator files, or InDesign files, or whatnot. Doesn't matter. The flattened PDFs can also, you don't have to worry about certain things being messed up, like if they, if they mess up the fonts or something like that, because everything is, is in there. So uh, as you said that, yes, then you will get most likely, you can get an email proof of everything you can also ask for and sometimes they generally send you actual proofs that you're gonna read you're gonna get in the mail and there'll be sheets of where all the cards are laid out where the counters are laid out and that's where you can check color uh, 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 make sure everything is uh, registered properly make sure your text is where you had planted it uh, nothing is too uh, close to where it was cut and everything and then later, the next step is if you want, you can ask for what's called a pre-pro or a pre-production copy. This is before they go to mass production. They send you a copy of the game and they say, this is what it's going to look like. This is how we're going to assemble it. Are you okay with it? And that's where you can check color and you can say, oh, wow, you know, I messed up. You know, this needs a tray or, or the tray is not thick enough or I don't like the feel of these cards. Let's up it. And of course, all those things incur changes and delays. So you just, but it gives you at least one final chance before they go to mass market to get the game that you want. And another way that you can also earlier on in the phase, um, in the, the process there, you can get what's called a white sample, which is that's the exact dimensions of the box, the exact paper weight and finishes that your cards are going to be. It's everything, but there's no printing, no nothing. You can just look at it in its bare bones components and be like, yes, this all looks great, or no, that doesn't even fit in the box the way we thought it was going to. What do we need to do to fix this? Yeah, it's a full physical copy of the game just with no, no illustration. Yeah. Or anything it's all white. It's, all it's white. called a dummy also or a yeah. white thing. It's, yeah. 
it's just it's your game with zero printing but it has the the quality of the cards they're going to insert yeah. it's how it shows you how they plan on packing it right so that's where also yes you can so do one step before the pre-production to make some changes there but it depends if you have a relationship with the printer right. and you've used them before you can probably skip the dummy phase and go into the pre-production phase and just do that on that note. yeah we had a question i was going to answer or expound upon that slightly more in more detail but, uh, one thing you know is the uh, the production the, the actual pre-production copy is a production copy right it's the, 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 this, is, this is very very important when you're sampling um if you really really care super specifically about the colors exactly right a your monitor is probably not calibrated right so make Correct. sure that's checked but B, um, use Pantone colors, because that is the only way, because when you're getting your, uh, your your digital proofs, even if they're printed digital proofs, that is literally printed in a different methodology than your actual game is going to be produced in. Yeah. So that color is gonna be close, it's gonna be- It's, it's like 90, right, 95%. But, but it is not actually right. exactly how your game is going to be produced. Um, when you get your pre-production copy, what that is is actually they've already mass produced everything. Everything is made, they just didn't put it together yet. So like a box, for example, is a box, they make this box and then it's a wrap that goes around the box. So they're gonna wrap the box, they're gonna collate the cards, they're gonna cut the sheets, they're gonna do all this stuff. At, at this point, most of your game is a bunch of sheets that are uncut and unput together and unfinished, you know, un, un, uh, called finished. Not assembled and such, yeah. yeah. Um, and so what they do is they'll, they'll wrap a box, they'll put it all together, they'll send you, this is what it's actually gonna look like. So changes at that point are expensive. Changes yes. at that point, changes at that point are much less expensive than than, than you getting it already. Yes. But it is still a cost incurred because they right. still they made it. And if you're like, hey, this cover's fucked up, right? If they fucked up, you know, it's on them. But if you're like, oh, you know what? I really I, I fucked up the logo or I forgot to put I spelled right. something wrong, or whatever. It's then you're only reprinting that component though. You're reprinting right. the wrap. So you're gonna do, you know, oh, 2,000 more wraps. So that's gonna add not a ton of money. It can be Correct. very, very inexpensive because it's not the whole thing. Uh, but that is that's the only time that pre-production copy is that last is yeah. the only time you're going to see the actual right. finish this is exactly what it yeah. is right. that you're going to get, Before you get a container. exactly how it's made exactly how it is you know your white dummy that's slightly different right you can get like the um, white dummies before where they set up the box and it's like handmade you know you get a like, little handmade dummy right. um that stuff is all very close to what it is you're going to get but not exactly no. it. so this pre-production copy is super important to get and look at because yeah. that is actually what the game is going to look like mm -hmm. And at that point, it is way, way, it still costs money, but it is way, it's way, way less cheaper, so, uh, yeah. way cheaper to get it the, the way you want it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, and it's also, the, there, there are times where pre-pro, where I looked at something, I go, you know what? I didn't like the way something, and it wasn't that they had a bad component. I can see, you know, we messed up, or even I proofed the rules. I go, wow, we missed an important thing in the rules. All right, we need to change it. And again, it's, yes, it costs, but it's way less expensive mm -hmm. to get it done at that point, to get a more perfect, Right. copy yeah. of the game and using the Pantone tone colors as he said yeah Pantone is universal yeah. basically so if you say Pantone this you can't really mess up because they said it for okay Pantone 576 yeah. or whatever and that's the color you get rather than say I want red right. so if you just say red and give uh, any kind of red <laughs> there are many many major shades of red and then you look and go wow that came out so dark it looks like this color or and it's, it's also important too as you do future runs to be able to go back and reference if you're like uh, make this piece red and then you do another run all of a sudden it's a darker red because that's what they had on hand or that was the custom mix they made at the time for another game that they're using for here you know you want to be able to go back and specifically reference all of those things so owning a Pantone book if you're going to produce a game is essential yeah. question. Uh, for the white copies will they generally also like make custom die cuts and like punch outs to include in those or will those be like hand 
Yeah. Yeah. At that point, it's the full game, including yeah. with your punch board, with all your uh, tokens mm -hmm. punched. And if there's like wood bits or plastic mm -hmm. bits, uh, there'd be a, a white version yeah. of those in there, depending on the plastic. But if you're getting into minis, then like white minis are a thing you can get. But again, that's going to be more expensive. And yeah, sometimes. I yeah. I, yeah. I don't remember having the white minis in that, but. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes they will tell you, they'll be like, hey, we're making you one copy. So this piece was hand cut, but it is hand cut to the exact specs of your final piece. You know, they, they haven't set up the entire machine for your print run yet because they want to make sure it's right. So um, you might see like a rough edge here or there, and they'll be like, yeah. it's because it's hand cut. It's okay. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you're going mostly for the quality of the component, mm -hmm. not the exact look. Yeah, yeah, they may square cut it or whatever and mess yeah. up with that. It's more the assembly to see if you like how everything fits in the box the way it should. A or B to make sure they've gotten every component you asked yes. for. Because you may say, hey, how come, uh, you know, I had three counter sheets here. You put two here. Oh, we thought it was two. Okay, good catch. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, of course, it's the, because uh, it's not the printing. So it's, yeah, it's just the quality of the stuff. Mm -hmm. Make sure it's assembled right and there's the right components yep. are in there. So that's what you would do uh, with the, uh, the dummy spec, mm -hmm. basically, or the white copy of it. Oh, oh no, that's fine. Well, I was gonna say so. Uh, um, so I, I used to I used to own Z-Man games, uh, and I for like twelve years I never went to the factory, never went to China actually until two thousand eleven for the first time. So about for ten eleven years I didn't go for QC. Uh, this is where either you go by reference from other companies if you've seen the other games a printer has done samples that you can ask for and go send me a sample of some of the hobby games so you can see the quality of work uh, to do. And the third thing is sometimes trial and error because sometimes I was contacted by printers and they said, hey, give us a shot. I said, okay, you know, I said some samples, maybe it's good. I'll look at the pricing. Okay, the pricing is good. And sometimes I got bad stuff, uh, the quality, but I, I risked it. Uh, but I think if you ask for samples and get references from somebody, you're probably 90, 95% going to get at least the good quality that you're looking for. We did. Oh, go ahead. We did our first print run of our first game with a printer that, uh, that said that was the only one that would give us time of day because we were a tiny company and most of the printers were like, no, nah, we're not interested in you. It's easier now. Um, but uh, the... And we were not pleased with the quality, and so this, the printer that is now our primary printer contacted us and said, "Hey, we, are, we say you're doing an expansion. We'd love to be your printer. Here's a bunch of uh, a bunch of uh, you know productions of the things we've done and stuff." So we're like, "Okay, we'll give it a shot." And we worked at that printer for I want to say four years before Paul ever went. And, uh, our, my business partner Paul is the guy that went over and, and checked out their factory, and we worked with them for yeah for years before we ever went over and toured their factory. And at that point, we had had years worth of games of like, "Yeah, we know the quality. We're happy with it." But um, so it's a thing. It's, it's nice to go over and check out the factory. It's super cool, but it's not necessary. So if that was, a, there's really not a huge reason to have to do it. If it was a step that you really wanted to get down and dirty and see different factories of things, you can go to like um, the Canton Fair in China or different things like that where you can go and you can see all these different factories and, and all of their different games and things they've done. If that's a thing you feel is very important, um, usually it's not until you've worked up a really good relationship that you're going to go and actually check out those factories and see what's going on. And uh, just as other things, so uh, two other reasons why you would, but again, if you do your due diligence, you probably don't have right. to. One, obviously, factory conditions, that's always a concern. You want to make sure the working conditions are fine. You know, you always hear stories of, you know, the labor laws and stuff like that. So if that's something, uh, uh, that you want to check out but again if you use an established 
printer that you know a lot of people in the hobby are using, you're uh, generally uh, uh, fine about that. Uh, and the second thing, I lost my track. So <laughs> okay, we'll come back. <laughs> uh, one thing we're going over to is that it doesn't actually do anything necessarily. It's supposed to be something you trust because I, I know personally of numerous instances. Yeah, you can. Going over uh, touring the factory. And they put a show. And it's actually not yeah. the factory. It's a different factory. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just totally yes. like, like oh, unless you have somebody who's living there who's like yeah. in the factory. Yeah, because, right. because you literally you will take, be taken to a nicer factory. Yeah. Right. That, that his friend owned and he gave, you know, a couple hundred bucks to, <laughs> to let you tour through. And you're like, yeah. oh, no, this is totally how it is. Right. right. You know, the, the thing is, in, in Chinese business culture is, is very, very different than what we are used to here. And it is not in a pejorative way, but it is very much a, like, you have to call me out on fucking this. Right? Yeah. Generally, the, the general assumption is I'm gonna try to screw you, or I'm gonna not be super, I'm not gonna be completely truthful. Even if there's no reason to, people lie to me all the goddamn time. And I'm just like, why are you even doing this? It doesn't even benefit you. Like, this just makes no sense, right? So it's very much a, you know, you just need a pushback. Like, don't be, especially if you're working direct overseas, push back, be a hard ass. Right. Don't, you know, be like, this is what I fucking want. This is what you're gonna give me. If you don't give me that, then, then you know, go away, right? Like yeah. You need to push that stuff very, very hard, um, and you can get misled in a billion different ways. So again, it's really that that reputation, that uh, you know, referral from other people, and or working with you know, uh, print brokers and production managers and things like that that, that deal with all that. Kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, so two reasons: one, I found one, and then I'll add another. One, if you have a very complicated game for some reason, a complicated component-wise and it has to be assembled a particular way, going to the factory could also be, so you can make sure they're packing it the way it's supposed to be for whatever reason. And one would be legacy type games where you have things in envelopes or whatnot, and you wanna make sure everything is in its right place. That's one reason, uh, one reason to go. The third reason I thought of that you'd wanna visit a factory, not even one that you're gonna use possibly, just to get a working knowledge of what a factory does, the machines, the type of sheets they use or can use, the process, because it might help you later when developing a game saying, oh yeah, I know the things they can do, or I know the size of the machines that they can use, so I know I'm better using uh, X number of cards versus Y number of cards, uh, and or the cut sheets and stuff like that. Those are the things uh, to think about when you visit a factory. So it gives you at least a working knowledge of the process, which might help you in figuring out some stuff later on. And that's kind of an area to both the points that were just being made when you're working with the factory, particularly when you're in, like, in that quote phase, things like that. Um, they're not trying to be malicious by not telling you information or things, but don't be afraid to ask and say, well, if I make this slightly thinner, or what are your regulations on this? Is there a way I, that we can change this? But if you don't start that dialogue and you don't ask those questions, they're just gonna tell you like, well, this yeah. is the price. And it's just how it is. Yeah, especially when speaking to the to the to the the culture of, of, of the way business works there. You say, I want you to make this thing, and they go, I'm gonna make that thing exactly the way you told me to make it, and not and if and even if they're like, hmm, it seems like this part is wrong or dumb. They will assume that they are wrong, and they will make it the way you said it. So if you yeah. if you give them a box file and your box file is upside down, they're like they must have wanted an upside down box, and now you have an upside down box. So you like you they will make exactly what you tell them to, even if it's not in your best interest. So. That, yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, for most most time that that's why if you get a good working relationship right. with right. someone, then they'll say, I don't think did you yeah. really mean this. No, we, we, uh, and and that's where <laughs> oh yeah, cool, thank you for catching that. I messed up. Even if you you leave out a logo, you leave out 
some information, they just may not say anything because they assume it. But once you know somebody, they go, yeah, this doesn't seem right. Uh, let's do that. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, right. So if we're working with companies that have North American offices, but Chinese factories like mm -hmm. AdMagic or Panda, sure. is it generally all right to trust in like the, the brokers you're <coughs> working with to manage all of that, or do you need to kind of... In general, yes, because what you're working with there is somebody who you're putting on the hook. When you're working with somebody like that, you're saying, okay, look, whoever you're dealing with at AdMagic or Panda or whatever, you get me this game, make it right. And then their responsibility is all the stuff that we're talking about. Um, the, you still need to like hold them to a certain level and make sure that, again, back to the very first thing we talked about, which is communication, make sure that you're really communicating clearly what you want um, to whoever you're working with, whether they're the actual factory or a broker or whatever. Um, but if you're working with a, with a middleman person, then you can kind of put some of the, the weight on them because their reputation is on the hook to, to make that thing happen. Yeah, it's very much their job to make sure that factory is doing exactly what you asked. And so don't be afraid to call them out on it. I've had to go back to ours before and been like, nope, we discussed this. We said it was going to be this way. You've got it in writing and you printed it wrong. So now you get to fix it. Right. So. But, uh, but be aware of a rep or broker that represents exclusively one factory versus one that will get you the best price among several factories, they're gonna mark up their, their quote by 10, 15, 20%, maybe even more. So do understand that if you got a rep that's representing several factories, they're gonna, you're not gonna get the best quote if you are able to deal with them direct. Someone like Panda, for example, they deal with one factory that so yeah e even though there's you have no choice you're not going to be able to go to that factory direct you're always going to work with these guys and they probably have a little markup but that's it it's not going to be a crazy markup because they're doing three or four or five factories and and doing that you are getting probably the best quote you can of course you can always fight for more you could say and and that's the thing don't be afraid to negotiate if someone says okay this game is going to be you know four dollars and 38 cents a unit you say man i want to sell it for this if you can get it down to 415 for example they may do that so don't right. be afraid to you try to negotiate yeah. downwards yes and because you, you could say i'll get you the next job you know mm -hmm. that's how you can work back and forth so every quote they give you it's not 100 set in stone they may be able to work with you and sometimes in the beginning you might say look i know this is the game that i need this is going to be the retail price it can't be more than 350 for example can you do it and they may say, you know what, we want these guys' business, we'll do it this time. Or they may say, sorry, we can't, maybe here's our best offer, and then you can work with that as well. Uh, going back to the quotes, if you have a game with a lot of components that are very flexible, like you don't really care what the glossiness of it is or something like that, uh, at what point in the quote process do you bring those things up? Do you start with like the lowest ball sort of spreadsheet and then add to it later as you think about it? Or so what I would do is I would, I would get multiple quotes essentially. This is the same product. You're like, hey, give me this product, but then give me a variability. What happens if I make these cards with spot UV? What happens if I make these uh, punch board instead of a card stock? And, but you still give me the quote on this game with kind of the baseline, and then give me variability on this spike and on this spike and on this spike, where there's just individual things. You're like, I, what happens if I upgrade this and what happens if I upgrade this? And, and make them walk you through the process of what things cost more and what things cost less. So make those specific separate game in a sense, rather than, say, rather than saying, like, I'm flexible on the cards, you suggest something. No, you don't want that. You could just say, you know, I, you could say, well, yeah, but you could just say, uh, let's say cards. I have, I have 100 cards. Uh, I want to quote 
300 GSM gray core, for example. But option one, I would like this in 310 gram or an option two, black core, for example. And then they'll quote you, okay, here's the base price, here's the option one price, here's the option two price. And in that way, you can compare and say, oh, you know what, that's not so bad. That was only a 20 cent increase. I can afford to do that. All right, I'm gonna go for this quality card. Point to that though, uh, no offense to anyone else in this room, but uh, as someone on the other side, uh, you don't matter enough that we're going to put up with a bunch of like 40 different options, right? Yeah, oh, yeah you don't want to go yeah, crazy. Like, yes. like, yeah. Set up to call somebody up and be like, hey, I want all these fucking, you know, break this down for me. All right. right. And they will. You want to print a thousand units, I'm not going to spend 10 hours doing 15 fucking quotes for you. Um, you know, that's just, that's just the reality of it. And that's, you know, and, and people are going to be like, well, you know, like here's three prices. Here, you know, here's right. a couple mm -hmm. options. Right. You know, people want to work with you and help you with the options, but not... Here, give me five options of every single card. Right, right. You're going to say, I want these three cards. I want four pieces of wood. I want yeah, this. Yeah, you can't go. Yeah, obviously. So you can't go have crazy. some idea of what it is that you want. Something you can do is think about, this is my, my high-end top tier. In a perfect world, this would be great. But we know that there's a very real possibility this isn't going to work. And have those backup plans so that you know, like, okay, well, in a perfect world, I have 45 of these components. I don't actually need 45 to play the game correctly, but it's really good to have them for those outliers. Know that so that you can go back and be like, wow, that piece is really expensive. What can I cut it down to that this game is still playable and viable and works well, but now I'm saving money. Yeah, and it's kind of, you can, depending on your printer and depending on the situation, you can sometimes do kind of the used car salesman situation where you're, where you're like, okay, look, this is, the per, I, I'm, this is the best case scenario. And then when they give you the quote, you're like, great, what's the quote look like when I cut 12 of these components? Or what's the quote look like when I say the rule book's only six pages instead of 12 or whatever? Not that those numbers are wrong. But, um, uh, the, but yeah. Um, <laughs> anyway, so, but yeah, so you having, having those things where you can say, okay, I, 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 need a, I need to shave dollars. I can remove this and I can, you know, downgrade these things. Yeah. This is why it's also good if you, if you have a game that you know you want that quality, if you send them the samples and say, because even if you don't know what it is, you can say, man, I love the cards from Agricolo. What, what's that going to cost me? Uh, and, and they'll tell you, okay, hey, this is, these are 310 black core, but it's going to be this. But hey, if you get it in gray core, you know, it'll be this much less or whatnot. And, and do understand, I mean, again, I don't know if it's the, the realm of this panel thing. So yeah, you should know your card stocks and the sizes. I mean, standard is like three, 310. You have white core, blue core, gray core, black core. That's just stuff that gives it more of the thickness, the flexibility, uh, things that, you know, won't crease. So they add to the thickness, but almost every printer uses different types of paper. So 310, white core at one printer might totally feel different at another printer yeah. at the same quality so that's you got to keep that in mind as well very very important so you just you should come up with a standard that you like and then try to stick with that and usually safer with the three three ten but again everyone has different paper they they buy uh you know different quality because there's all their name brands a lot of the paper and they're just very different uh same thing also when you do counter sheets understand uh one quick thing when you when you're doing your components a die cut so you pay for every die cut so if you have a counter sheet uh that and let's say you have a game with three counter sheets but they're all going to be laid out the same that's one die cut so they use the same die cut and they're going to cut it you know three times but let's say you have three sheets but this is going to be laid out one way this is going to be laid out a different way that's going to be laid out a different way that's three die cuts you're going to be paying like 250 or 300 dollars for because they got to change the blades yeah, that's on the, their the, die the, cut 
they make a, a special like blade array for each different card token sheet they do, and those are not cheap. So those, when you want to get prepared, you want to try to lay out things as similar as possible in certain uh, components uh, so that you get you save a little money. With cards, my, uh, I'm, I'm not worried about it too much, but I know a lot of people really stand by that. You know, what's the count on your sheet? Is it a 54-card sheet, a 72-card sheet? I notice many of the factories I use, the price of going to another sheet, it really doesn't seem that much, and sometimes they just cut sheets to what you want. But, you know, if you have 150 cards, yeah, sometimes that will require extra sheets. So they're buying paper, right? That's what you're you're paying for the stock. But if you can whittle it down to 108 and they can fit it all on one sheet, for example, then you'll save a little money. Yeah. But these are the things once you get familiar with the factory and they may even tell you, that, you know, they say you can ask them, hey, what's the best card count I can use to save the best? Is it 50, 40, you 72 card sheets, 18 card sheet and so on and so forth. That can help you. A little bit in designing and developing a game uh, to do it but generally I, I think going over a little bit I don't think it's it's terrible in terms of uh, uh, cost but just keep that in mind if you're trying to save every nickel and dime I mean if you're doing a, a 1,000 <coughs> copy print run then you are gonna notice a difference yes. in card sheets if you're doing a five or ten thousand copy print run you won't because at that point they're like look we're printing 10,000 copies of this that it, it doesn't matter um, but the, the, the smaller the print run, the more the individual toggle costs matter. And the larger the print run, the more the, the factory is like, we are happy to have your business. And they'll, they'll work with those numbers. The, uh, can you talk a little bit about the sort of a palette and after a shrink run? How do you put it in the carton and how, how far, how high that stack? So you like probably, yeah, you, how do I, how do I determine so that? you probably don't want to, Hmm. Uh, you don't probably want to have your games palletized uh, in China. Uh, we get we get a, a, a forty foot cargo container, the the high cubes that are just packed full of games, and they floor stack them, which means that there's no there's not pallets, and then they're individually on the pallet and they forklift them in. They have a team of people that, that they fill it all up, and there's no air in those those cargo containers. They're full to the top, full of games, and you're going to get a lot more games that way in a cargo container, and you're going to pay a lot less fiddly labor of people making pallets and, and packing them in. Um, you know, dip, what do you mean? Your inner <coughs> right. So then, yeah, they'll, cases. Right. Yeah. They'll, they'll right. They're, they're, they're still in cases. They generally will have like depends on the size of the game. If it's a little game, you might put like twenty to a case. If it's a mid-sized game, you might put like twelve to a case. And a bigger game might be like six to a case. Um, and, and they'll they'll pack them into cases, and then they'll pack the cases into the into the cargo container. Yeah. You um, you can specify how many you want per right. massive carton. So you can say. I, I would like to, you know, usually board games, and there's some standard. Usually, uh, uh, standard board games are six to a case. Yeah. Uh, cards, card games, depending how small they are, they can be usually 12 to 24, and they can be 12, 16, 18, 20, depends on the, the amount of sizes. Uh, that's fine. What he said about the thing, yeah, what, depending on how much you're doing, and again, if you're doing a thousand, it probably doesn't matter. If you're, because either you're going to be less than container load, you're paying, if you get a 20 foot container, you're usually paying. For the 20 foot container, whether you put one box in there or you fill it to the brim. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Then there's less than container load, which is they're going to ship it mixed in with other people's products that they're sending. At which and point you're going to pay for your test. portion. Yeah. And that you could probably still put it on a pallet. It probably doesn't matter too much. Um, but now you're asking a question more of where, uh, how you're warehousing, where you're shipping it to, and stuff like that. Yeah, if you're shipping it to your home and you're keeping it all in the garage. Yeah, maybe pallets are going to be very hard to put in your garage, and then you'll you know you'll get it shipped individually. But most likely, it's going to a warehouse, and you're just going to pay for the labor of either people individually moving the boxes or 
getting pallet jacks or whatever and forklifts and moving the pallets. But I don't think you need to be 100% concerned about that until you answer a bunch of other questions, where it's going, how many you have, and so on and so forth. Right, because like if the if the end point destination, if the the warehouse you're sending it to says, hey, listen, it better be palletized for, so that we can forklift it out of there, we're not gonna take the time to pack them out individually by hand, then like that's the harsh reality of the, of the thing. For us, we, we prefer it to be floor stacked because we can get more per, pa- mm-hmm. uh, per container that way, and I'd rather f- take receive two containers all completely floor stacked than like six containers all palletized. I'd rather also rather not import six containers simultaneously. They'll they'll take that. That's that's by the. You can actually like there there is a um, not code um, like you can figure it out if you really want to map it out in your head and I haven't done it in a really long time so I don't remember how how it exactly works. But But I don't. Factory is usually going to tell you like this is going to fit you know like yeah they usually you don't tell them you're going to have six inners in this case and if it will fit on a high cube or won't or you know you can tell them how many to a case you want yeah they're going to pallet or yeah you're going to tell how many to a case and if you want pallet or not they're going to figure out the rest you do not have to worry about height nothing because obviously it has to fit in the container so it's not going to be higher than the container it goes in right so and they're probably going to try to fill it as much as can fit basically if you're going to pay for a 20 or 40 foot container they're going to try to make it all fit unless you're doing a 10 15 20 thousand run where it might need uh, uh, multiple containers, but yeah, you that you do not have to worry about at all. You rely on the factory quotes pretty much for the, the freight, or you also look at other freight companies. You usually handle shipping. You hire the the shipping company to hand to ship the stuff from the factory. They normally don't. They may have someone they work with, uh, but it's usually someone that you've chosen. And you want someone who's also uh, a shipper that's also a customs broker. Otherwise, you need a, uh, a separate customs broker. So it's not enough to get this product overseas. You have to get someone who gets it from the port to the land right. and goes through customs and fills out all the forms and everything else. Right. But, but are you using something like Tander, I imagine they're generally picking it for you. Yeah. Do you worry about their upcharge there so much? No, in fact, that's the, that part is a little bit better because let's say if you're printing only 1,000 copies of a game, and it's not a ridiculously huge ogre-sized game, you're not going to fill even a 20-foot cargo container, at which point you're dealing with importing a cargo container for, for it not being full, which is bad. Um, so, uh, whereas if you're printing with somebody like Panda or AdMagic or anybody that's doing a lot of printing, um, even when we do our own printing, this, when we do a print run of a 5,000 copy game that's a really small game and doesn't take up a whole cargo container, fine, because we're also packing other things in there. And so Panda or AdMagic is going to be in that cargo container. AdMagic certainly would be in that cargo container packing in other products. Yeah, but Panda's so. not hiring the shipper for you. You're, right. still, you're, you're still taking care of the shipping. You need your own shipping company. They'll, they'll, they'll find you a broker. They'll find you one. They'll, they may, yeah, they'll find you one if you want. Yes. Uh, will they upcharge if they, yeah, they may? That, that's it. That's it. The absolute fucking worst part about manufacturing is international freight releases. Yes. That is the one thing. If there's nothing else that you are willing to pay an upcharge to have somebody else oh. worry about it, yeah. 100% don't do that. Oh, we're pretty good at it. <laughs> How hard was it to get up to speed on that? We we have we have two full time FedEx reps, um, and one of them is just for international freight. Yeah. So. Uh, 
Exactly. Yeah, but, but they're, are they handling your ocean freight, your FedEx? We, we used to have it through somebody else, and then recently Fed, FedEx came to us and said, listen, you're doing this many car containers. We see them every time we're here at your office. We want your, your okay. ocean freight, yeah, and we'll give you this number. Okay. Yeah, because we, we would never accept them before. They were way too expensive. They were, yeah, because, yeah, I'd never used them before because they were nope. just not worth it. You In the last year, other they came. company. Yeah, uh, they're doing a lot of stuff. <clears> they're telling them what you want. Yes. Yes. Yep. You know, again, and that's the thing is you don't want to have to give a shit about what X works. Yeah. Like that's not a thing you should care about. Like, well, you should theoretically. But you you, you care, but you don't want to handle it yourself yeah. because you're trying to make Friendship games. I assume everybody in this room really wants to be a, a person right. making games, not a logistics coordinator. Um, because if you want to be a logistics coordinator, look around the room. You're surrounded by people who and, really want to work with and, you. And by the way, he, he said like X works net. By the way, yeah, the quote that you get doesn't does not include shipping from their port. To your warehouse, it usually includes freight to to their port, right. but not from the port on. So that's going to be an extra charge that you'll have to figure out and deal with, you know, the shipping companies and get quotes for. Once you work with a company, you'll know. Okay, I know, you know, a twenty foot from China is going to cost me to get to my warehouse or a distributor warehouse, whatever it is, always going to cost me roughly this amount, or a forty foot is going to cost me this amount, kind of stuff. So you'll get that, but. Just remember, your quotes do not include shipping. Just factor that in. Yeah. And it's probably have gone up. I've not done it in a while, but it used to be a 20-foot container. used to be about 1500 to $2,000, yeah, and a 40-foot was about four or 5000 It's It's gone up. <laughs> I, I, like, I, I would like to live in that world, please. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, many years ago. But, yes, uh, shipping has gone up, especially when the oil was high and you had all the fuel surcharges and stuff. And then you got to think about if you land it, where are you landing it? Right. East coast, west coast, are you coming around the, the south? And then you have to either train it or truck it to the warehouse. So if you got a, a warehouse, let's say in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and you're coming from China, so are you going to land it in either you know LA or Vancouver or San Francisco or whatever, and then you have to take a train or a truck from there to Indiana, that could be that alone could be three four thousand dollars. Especially if the train has to go over the Mississippi River, because then it changes from one train track system to the other train track system, which is why we're based in St. Louis. We're over whichever coast we get it from, it's the same. So, ah. so you have to consider that as well. But that's also part of logistics, and that you will learn. Uh, but a shipping company can help you with that. And do know, sometimes you'll say, you know what, it'll be cheaper if I go from China to the East Coast, but I'll lose a week. Yeah. So then that's the thing. You have to consider. Okay, I'm, I'm saving a thousand or two thousand dollars. Can I afford that waiting one more week for my product to come in? So those are other considerations, but that's, again, logistics. So uh, we're looking at warehousing and fulfillment from China directly. Sure. Um, Ship from China. But we're yeah. not concerned about time constraints right now. <clears throat> Who are you shipping to from China? Distributors or individuals? So we would be shipping, so we would do our direct to Kickstarter individuals from there, and then what we would do is we would have just them send us stock for us to hold mm. in smaller quantities as if we were like a distributor on public ourselves, mm -hmm. as opposed to trying to warehouse 2,000 units in the U.S. and then... So they'll do your warehousing for you as well? Yeah, they're dealing with both warehousing and fulfillment. So like, do you have opinions about China warehousing versus U.S.? Well, you don't have any eyes on the product. Um, so you don't necessarily know where your product is because they're like, we have it in our warehouse, but they'll probably move it around to wherever they don't need to get to it frequently, um, depending on how fast it's moving. Uh, the other thing to be concerned about there is shipping an individual package from China to an individual in the United States 
is really expensive. So I'm guessing what they probably are doing, they might be saying, oh yeah, we're shipping to individuals from China. What they're probably doing is putting labels on all the boxes, packing up all the individual boxes in China where they have the labor for that, putting all those on pallets or in a container, shipping that over as pallets or a container to the US. And then from there, they have a distribution hub that they break it out and ship it to people within the US. This is exactly how we ship in Canada. When we ship stuff to Canada, we pack everything on the pallets, ship it up in a, in a truck, in a, and then break it out locally. Um, if they're giving you good rates on that, great, but that seems more expensive than shipping it from within the U.S. Um, but if you've got good rates, then sure. So our, our big thing was having to cover warehousing plus the importation um, plus you know China to East Coast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is expensive for us to go direct to consumer, but it's still the sum total is cheaper than okay. Well, you're saving the the trip over of all the product to you guys, and you guys doing it. I mean, you're exactly. saving in labor and that cost. Yeah, you you could. I do mean, that. you've got to, so we can talk about all the different things that we've done, and we can talk about all the different things that are done in the industry. But ultimately, you got to run your numbers, and you got to look at right. what you have and what works for you. And if they and if you're going to get some sort of deal from them about like, look, this is what it's going to cost. Great, hold them to that. And when things go wrong, if things go wrong be able to say, okay, this is not what we paid for. We need to have some, we've had plenty of things with, uh, with our printers not working out the way we want. And we say, look, this is what we paid for. This is what our original deal was. So uh, the, sometimes they'll give you money back, but more likely it's like, okay, the next thing we're doing, you're going to give us all kinds of deals on and we're going to make this work. Um, but so I, if that's, if that's what works for you economically, then, Hey, that sounds like a good system for you. So, yeah. One thing that I just want to add, yeah. uh, it ties into the whole broker thing. Yeah. Most people don't have any understanding of how, like you mentioned earlier, the go to the factory, one of the major things, you see how things are actually made. Um, most people don't have any understanding at all of how like factories work, especially in China. Uh, in China, everything is super specialized and does like a thing, and it does that thing really, really well. But especially in games, uh, components, despite looking similar, are made in dramatically different ways on dramatically different pieces of machinery. And very, very few uh, manufacturers or people especially that are client-facing manufacturers are doing everything in-house. Uh, the majority of the people you're working with have finishing factories. Uh, a few of them also have uh, printed materials associated with that and they're doing that. Um, if you have miniatures in your game, that's not being made in the same factory right. as, as your car. It, do, it just doesn't happen. You have dice in your game. There are dice factories. It's all they make is dice. Um, so when you're talking about the, the uh, the brokering or the this and that and like making the deals like you're, you're you're almost definitely not working directly with the factory that's making every part of what's going on. Yeah, these so, the outsource so, boxes yeah. and so things. This idea, this idea of like you know, brokers, not brokers, whatever. You're always getting upcharged. Like that just happens, and that's just part of how it is. Um, you know, like I don't want to name names of specific factories, but a lot of people that are thought of as you know factory A, a lot of people in China, you're like, oh, they're factory B, they're not. They don't know shit. At most, they may be on a finishing factory, but they present themselves as such, uh, or they just maybe, you know, don't mention the fact, you know, like, oh, they're in China, they must own a factory, right? right. They typically don't. Uh, very, very few of them do. They're typically uh, brokers in China that you're dealing with, uh, the people that you're, that you're talking to, and a lot of people you're thinking of as China manufacturers are not actually manufacturers. They're brokers just on the ground there. Um, there's like a dozen different places to make dice in Shenzhen, right? Like, and so, your dude is gonna run around and he's gonna have all this stuff. And that's why when you're doing your coin process, things can be all fluctuated and weird. And that's why people don't like to break out individual prices because that might fluctuate and this guy's backed up, so I have to go to this guy and that's gonna have two cents and whatever. So so ultimately what you're doing is you're, you're, no matter where you are, you're paying someone to do all that legwork, running around between the factories to get all those components. And you're typically paying the person who has the finishing factory uh, or the finishing operation. And so 
when you're looking at, at pricing, it's, it's all this value-added stuff. It's all this best value. It's not cheap. You don't want to be cheap. You want to look at what is the best value. Um, and, and for different people, it's going to be different places. It's going to be, you, know, you have to run your numbers ultimately. But having an understanding of what it is that people are actually doing, and when you're talking to someone about stuff, you know, hey, like this, this guy gets back really, really quickly when I have questions about cards. Oh, this guy, it takes a fucking leap for him to talk, talk back about dice, though, right? Because he doesn't make the dice. He has to go run around and talk to five other factories and figure that out and work out these details and do that stuff. So, so having that understanding is going to help the way that you're communicating with these people and the, the things that you're interested in. And when you're, when you're talking about uh, presented, it's just like you know that they're not making it all themselves. And, and, if, you, and if, you, if they know that you know that, you're going to have a much easier time of communicating uh, the questions and issues that you have because you're like, hey, I know you have to ask your dice guy this. So, like, I know that... Well, and that's why, again, you can work on negotiating the price down because you could say, hey, this is $5, can get it to $480. They're probably thinking, all right, well, we charge this much extra for dice and wood. All right, we'll knock out, you know, five cents here, five cents there, two cents there. And that's why you're able to get down there. But, yeah, you, they definitely outsource uh, a bunch of things. But everything comes to them. They assemble it and put it together and give you the finished thing. But, yeah, you don't get... Everything in one factory. It just doesn't happen. Is any cool. Is anyone here familiar with hey, the cool. Spiel podcast? There's a podcast called The Spiel. Anyway, um, the the Spiel guys two years ago, three years ago, went to Germany to the big printer there, Ludifact, and uh, took a ton of video of themselves, like touring the factory, looking at all the machines, looking at oh, this is where they're making cards, this is where they're making tokens. This is it. So even if it's not, even if you're not printing with that factory. Watching those videos is really helpful because you're like, oh, that's how that works. That's how that works. That's how that works. And every factory is different, but even still, even seeing some of that gives you some idea of what's going on in the industry. And, so and even in Germany, they also outsource everything. the wood pieces, yeah. the yeah. plastic, the dice. They go to the various manufacturers. Uh, and actually, even uh, uh, Ludwig, sometimes they'll get cards from somewhere else yeah. and so on. So, you, again, you are getting... Yeah, in-house. they can't. They right. just yeah. don't have that. It's yeah, too you much. might you might get a, you know wood or something from Ningbo. You got a piece coming from Guangdong, and you got paper coming from Shanghai or Shenzhen or, or wherever it is. And then you've got one main factory that's pulling all of those components together, and, then and that's assembling the finishing it. factory, right? Right. right. So, but that's okay. It's yeah. reflected in your quote. Exactly. Once you agree to it, it's there. Yep. You know the quality because they're going to get the quality that you've asked for and shown. So it. There shouldn't be, if it's an established company, you're not going to get a surprise and say, oh, wow, this dice costs us way more than it thought. You owe us 30 cents more. You go, no, we agreed on this quote. This is what the quote's going to be, mm -hmm. for example. So you don't have to, you shouldn't have to worry about those kind of hidden surprises. They'll, it's, it's on them to, to get the components that you asked for and that you guys agreed upon at the price you agreed upon. We had one last question here. here. Uh, kind of to your point about certain companies like no company's going to specialize in everything. A wooden part may come from somewhere. Mm -hmm. In my day job, we've dealt with uh, companies where these guys are really spot on with their plastic carts, and they can't do metal stamping to save their lives, though. Have you ever encountered a situation where you're dealing with a company that made the best cards ever, but you've worked with them enough to know that maybe their dice aren't great? Have you ever sat down and worked with them and said, hey, look, if we cut dice from this, I know that's something you have to go outside for or something like that. Is there, you know, is there a price saving to be if I can rework this to no longer use this part you have to go get? In general, we're more demanding, where we say, hey, look, here's the deal. In the last game, those dice you put in there, they suck. They were awful. Get us better dice. Or we'll find somewhere else to make it. And we, we, we put that on, onus on them. We're saying, we want a certain level of quality. 
you're not getting us that level of quality. We're happy printing with you in all these other ways. So up your dice game, find dice from somebody else, whatever. And we don't want to pay more for dice. We would just we want to pay the amount that we should be paying for dice. You just need to get better dice. That's, um, yeah. Sorry. That's yeah, where that flexibility kind of comes into play, which is nice because it's not like there's only one factory making dice or right. you're, you're not dealing with just one. So you tell them, I'm not happy with this, and they'll go out and they'll search and they'll find you somebody that's going to get you what you want. Right. Well, that's it. There are definitely people that approach me like, hey, you recommend somebody, and I'll say, which project? Yeah. There's, there's, there's people that are like, like, like that. They're incredible for your games, cards, and a box of boards, print materials. This, they're going to fucking nail it. Yeah. Awesome. Plastics? Like, well, you should talk to these other people instead because they don't have as good sourcing on plastic. So that's definitely a thing. Look on the internet. A million people have opinions about it. Thank you all so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Seth. Oh, thank you, man.